0: Welcome to the Renaissance Church Podcast. Our mission is to glorify God and to make disciples by bringing the gospel into all of life in all the earth. This is Chris Kipp, lead pastor of Renaissance Church here in Richmond, Texas. And if you've not joined us in a worship gathering or at a house church yet, we would love to have you join us. You can find out more information at rin churchorg And I pray that you are encouraged and edified by the proclamation of God's word today. I heard a story this week from a pastor, and I just wanted to share it with you. He was preaching on the same passage that I'm going to be preaching on today, which is found in James chapter 1. If you have a copy of scriptures and you want to start turning there, we're going to be in James chapter 1. But the story was that, um, you know, hundreds of years ago, there was an African king And he had a servant who was like a a friend to him, the servant. And the servant was annoyingly positive. Do you know any people that are just kind of annoyingly positive, right? Um, And no matter what would happen, whether good or bad, the servant would say, it is good. It is good. Well, one day, the king took his servant hunting. They go going, going hunting, and out there, he sees an animal that he wants to, to shoot, and so he, he takes the, the servant's gun that the servant had loaded, and he aims at the animal, and he pulls the trigger, and right when he pulls the trigger, the gun misfires, and it blows his thumb off. And in his anger and, and pain, he turns around at the servant, and he's like, how could you do this? What, what's wrong with you? And the servant looks at him and goes it is good, it is good. And the king says, it is not good. <laughs> so he has the servant locked up. And for a year, this guy is in prison. And about you know that time, the king goes on another hunting uh, kind of safari, but in the process, he runs into a tribe of cannibals and they capture the king and this you know these these cannibals as they're preparing the king to eat him they realize that he's missing a thumb and they're very su- superstitious and and they believe that they cannot eat uh anything that is not completely whole and so the king escapes he goes back to his his uh servant who's locked up in prison he goes to him and he says please forgive me i'm so sorry and, and the servant looks at him and says it is good, it is good. And the king says, how in the world can you say that it is good when you've been in prison for an entire year and your, you know, your actions actually saved my life? And the servant says, because if I was with you, I would have been eaten. <laughs> That's a terrible story. Yeah. I haven't told a joke in a long time for that very reason, because they are always bad jokes, but um, I still try. James chapter 1. We're going to dive in, and I, I want to preach a message called Count It All Joy. Count It All Joy, and it comes from this passage. James chapter 1, verse 2. Here's what he writes. Consider it a great joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you experience various trials because you know that the testing of your faith produces endurance. And let endurance have its full effect so that you may be mature and complete, lacking nothing. Now, if any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God, who gives you all generously and ungrudgingly, and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith without doubting, For the doubter is like the surging sea, driven and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord, being double-minded and unstable in all his ways. Verse 9, Let the brother of humble circumstances boast in his exaltation, but let the rich boast in his humiliation, because he will pass away like a flower of the field. For the sun rises And together with a scorching wind, it dries up the grass, its flower falls off, and its beautiful appearance perishes in the same way the rich person will wither away while pursuing his activities. Verse 12, blessed is the one who endures trials because when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. No one undergoing a trial should say, I'm being tempted by God, since God is not tempted by evil and he himself does not tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when he's drawn away and enticed by his own evil desire. Then, after a desire has conceived, it it gives birth to sin. And when sin is fully grown, it gives birth to death. Don't be deceived, my dear brothers and sisters every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. By his own choice, he gave us birth by the word of truth, so that we would be a a kind of first fruits of his creatures. This is the word of the Lord. So here we have James telling us about joy, and he says to consider it all joy, or the, the King James Version says, count it all joy. And that word um, for uh, consider or to, or to count can be like an accounting term that when you're looking at your life and you're thinking about all the things that have happened to you in your life, that you might be tempted to categorize them as the good things that we're thankful for and the bad things that we just don't even want to talk about anymore. And what he's saying is that over both categories, both columns of your accounting of your life, if you could just write joy over the whole thing, to count it all, joy. That word joy, when you look it up in the original language, the Greek, it's kara, C-H-A-R-A, which is the, the same for charisma or charismatic, kara. And it means to be aware of grace, to be aware of grace, to be joyful. And here's the thing, we are to be joy people. Like of all the types of people on planet earth, followers of Jesus are to be people of joy. That we're commanded in scripture to rejoice, to express joy, like we are called to be joy people. In college, I had a great group of friends that I had found through a college ministry that I loved, and these were just great people, Um, just authentic, wonderful, they loved Jesus, they knew how to have fun together, it was just beautiful. And uh, my friend would often say about us that we were the drunkenest, active, sober people that he'd ever met, right? It was just like, we just had so much fun together, it was just joy, like we're to be joy people. But here's the thing, I've walked through some trials and you have too. In fact, together as a church body, we've walked through some massive trials. And if we're honest, those do not evoke joy in us, right? these, These things, these trials that we walk through can be very severe, very difficult, heartbreaking, uh, just absolutely devastating things, and yet somehow, James says that over those over those things too, we can write joy. So I just want to look at what James says and, and here 's what I think he does. I think that he gives us some keys. To counting it all joy. Four keys that I want to show us in the passage that he shows us here in these verses. So let's begin with this. Starting in verse two and four, just look back with me just for a minute. Here's what he says Consider it a great joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you experience various trials. Because you know that the testing of your faith produces endurance and let endurance have its full effect so that you may be mature and complete, lacking what? Nothing. Lacking nothing. Here's the first thing that I think he tells us, and this is a key to our joy, is that I can count it all joy when I'm clear about what God is building. Say it again. I can count it all joy when I'm clear about what God is building. And what he tells us here is that what God is building in your life is not your bank account, which that would be nice, wouldn't it? It's it's not the, um, the, the plan that you had for your life of like, my sophomore year of college, I'm going to meet my future spouse. We're going to become really good friends. And then, then we're going to start dating because we're going to have an interest in one another. And then she's going to see that I'm the most amazing person in the world. And she's the most amazing. And, and then we're going to get married right, right after our senior year ends. We graduate. Right, and, and you have this whole plan in your life of how it's all going to work. And then life happens and you're like, oh, gosh, God, where are you? What's happening in my life? Jesus didn't necessarily come to build our lives according to our plans. I'm all for dreams and aspirations and visions and all that kind of stuff. Praise God for that. But what he's after most is your faith. God wants to build your faith. One of the most precious things about you to him is your faith. That's what he tells us in this passage. He says that he is Testing our faith. Now, when we think of the word test, we, uh, we think of knowing the right answers, right? When you take a test, you want to know the right answer so that you can get a good grade on the test. But that is not how this word test is used in the scripture. In fact, it means to, to prove, right? It, it's, it's going to prove or it's going to reveal something. We use it this way when we talk about a, a, a legal case that goes to trial, it's going to be tried, and the, the defendant and the prosecutor, they're going to try to prove guilt or innocence, right? It's, it's being tested. It's being tried, and that's the way that he uses the word that this testing of our faith. You know, Jesus, with his disciples, he was always talking about their faith, and he would say, you are of little faith. Repeatedly, you of little faith. Why did you doubt? See, see, Jesus was concerned about the faith of his followers. It's important for us because, as the scriptures teach us, we are saved by grace through faith, right? Hebrews 11, verse 6, Without faith, it is impossible to please God. For anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. It's so important. God is coming to prove, to reveal our faith, and he's going to use trials to do that. And he tells us that what happens is that produces this word that we call endurance, right? Endurance. That word, the, the original word was a compound word, and the, the first part meant under, and the second part meant remain. And so we would say it was literally to remain under, would be able to endure. So when you think of a person who's carrying like a heavy load, right, and they're going to try to remain under it for as long as possible, that would be endurance. It's a picture to us of the trials, the adversities, the temptations that we face in our life, that God's building faith, and that faith is going to be proven, it's going to be tested by trial, and it's it's going to result in endurance, right? We're going to be able to remain under it for longer, and it's going to do a work inside of us that he calls maturity. Now, an immature Christian lacks clarity about what God is building. When a person who says, okay, God, I never met my spouse in college, so what's up with that? I've been serving you my whole adult life. God, I, I, I even went on that mission trip that one time. And now I'm 33 and I'm, I'm making a profile on a dating app and I'm probably gonna meet weird people. And, and I don't wanna meet weird people, God. And then somebody goes through that and they say, I'm done with Jesus, I'm done with Jesus. Because they, 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 they were not able to remain under the test because they misunderstood what God was building. See, in our trials, we are more prone to become unbelieving, right? To become bitter, to complain against God, or to seek to escape our trial in some impure way, to to get out from under it, to take on a victim mentality. And all of these can be filed under the word immature. But the scripture telling us, if we can just remain under, if we can count it all joy because we know that what he's building is not necessarily what I had in my mind, but he's building something inside of me. It's my faith. And it leads us to maturity. Um, how do you see you might think I see through my eyes, right? I, I see with my eyes, but in reality, I don't know if you know this, but your eyes actually—they—they're letting in this this light that you know that it's coming through the lens of our eye, and it comes into our brains upside down. And your brain, what it does is it actually takes the image, it decodes it, and it flips it right side up. So you don't see with your eyes, you see through your eyes, but you actually see with your mind, Your, your brain. And there's something about the lens of joy that comes into our our minds. And when we have this understanding in our minds already, whenever life comes in and it feels like it's upside down, like this is not how it's supposed to be, God. There's something about us understanding this about what God is building that's able to flip it right side up again and say, oh, I remember you're building my faith. I can count it all joy when I'm clear about what God is building. Next, James goes on to talk about wisdom, and there's nothing like a trial to make you feel out of your depth and like at the end of your rope, and you, you have no idea what to do. And I love what he says, and, and this is my second point. I can count it all joy when I trust that God is providing. When I trust that God is providing He says this, if any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God who gives to all generously and ungrudgingly, and I like this, and it will be given to him. I mean, it's so matter of fact. If you just ask him for wisdom, it's gonna be given to him. But he says this, let him ask in faith without doubting. For the doubter is like the surging sea, driven and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything, wow, from the Lord being double-minded and unstable in all his ways. James is pointing us to the lavish generosity of God. I uh, heard a pastor say this one time that when you're a brand new Christian, you, you give a $100 and the following week, someone gives you a $1,000 and you're like, Jesus, it's real. You work, right? And then you're, when you're a, a, a mature Christian, you give $1,000 and you go home and your AC breaks, right? He's like, what is up with that? Like, I, if the math was right, if I give $1,000, you are going to bring 10000 right? That would be awesome. If he said, no, no, what's happening is that God is changing the lesson for us. You've already learned the first lesson. Now he's, he's teaching us something different about faith the faith that said, if I give this, I know God's going to provide. It says, when I give this and everything breaks, I also know that God is still going to provide. He's going to provide wisdom. I can count it all joy when I trust that God is providing. In Psalm 24 verse 1, the psalmist says, the earth." and everything in it, the world and its inhabitants, belong to the Lord, meaning he owns everything. and He's able to give, to provide for his children. But James points us, again, to our faith. He says, let him ask in faith. And he uses that word, Double-minded. You've probably heard that word before, double-minded. It's, it's almost like being two-souled. It's like you're, you're, you're kind of got a one foot in both places, one in the world and one in God. It's, it's to be double-minded or, or uh, as he said, almost like a wave of the sea that you're tossed around. It's like you're, you're you know, up here with faith in one minute and then you're down here in the depths with doubt in the next. And here's the thing that's joyless. If you've been there, which I've been there, right? Up here in faith, down here in doubt, just all over the place. He says it's joyless, because we're not believing in the provision of our God. And he says that we should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Which teaches us something about faith. Faith is the currency of heaven. I'll say it again faith is the currency of heaven he says if we will ask in faith the lord will provide so provision follows faith it will be given now it feels like James goes on to on a tangent right? It's like, it's just like it goes like from, we're talking about joy and and faith and, and, okay, wisdom, awesome, got that. But what's this whole thing about the rich and the poor? Well, here's the thing, is he says that the poor man should thank God for his exaltation, like, thank you, Jesus, that I am poor. And that the rich man, he should boast in his humiliation, meaning like, oh, Lord, why did you make me rich? Like, What's up with that? What, what is James talking about with the rich and the poor? And here's the thing. Um, it, there's another passage later in the next chapter, and he says this, didn't God choose the poor in this world to be rich in faith? Didn't God choose the poor of this world to be rich in faith? It... it he's so concerned about these people valuing the wrong things that he says, look, when you have very little and you're living by faith, guess what? You should boast in that because God's building what matters inside of you. But the rich man who could trust in his riches and who could not live by faith, he needs to humble himself and realize like, I need to be very, very careful that I don't value the wrong things thinks and I have to trust that in all of it God is providing the third thing I can count it all joy when I see the crown that is coming I can count on all joy when I see the crown that is coming. This is one of the hardest things to do. I think it's probably one of the things that most non Christians struggle with when they think about Christians and Christianity and how they live, is that we live on a different timetable. Francis Chan, one time, he uh, he preached on this, and he uh, he took a rope. And he stretched it from, like, up on the stage all the way out, like, past the back door. Like, it looked like it went on forever, right? And then he put, like, a little piece of, like, red tape on the end right here. And so here's this, like, never-ending line. And he said, the red tape represents your life right now like however many years God gives you, if he gives you 80 years or 90 or whatever, awesome. That's this little piece of red tape right here. And then all the white is just eternity that stretches on forever. And all the decisions that we're making right now are typically about this little piece of of our timeline right here, but we're not keeping in mind this, this long vision of what eternity really is. So when the world says to you, you only live once. Do it. Buy it. Indulge yourself. There's something in us as believers that's like, I actually live forever. When the world says seize the moment, carpe diem, seize the day, right? We're like, well, I, I'm, gonna, I, I'm gonna withhold because I'm looking forward to something that's like way beyond today. It's the crown that is coming, this idea of resisting temptations, resisting these things to, to, uh, to count it all joy because I know that there's a crown that is coming. Like That is a hard concept for people to understand, but it's exactly what the scriptures teach us over and over and over again because here's the thing. Trials and adversities can make us extremely short-sighted, really, really short-sighted. It's like we just can't see beyond the moment. We can't see beyond the, the testing, the, the trial, the suffering, the adversity, the, the temptation. It's like we, we can't see beyond it. And he tells us this, blessed, blessed is the one who endures trial. Blessed. It means it's the, the, the original word is "makarios" and it means supremely blessed, fortunate, well off, happy, blessed. Blessed is the one because he or she will receive the crown of life. And what he has in view, it's like a runner running a race. Like like in you know our our marathon, triathlon, decathlon, all these things come from this time period where they would, at the end of that race, they would receive this as almost like a wreath that showed victory, like you are victorious. Meaning, I know that when the trial comes, it's gonna be really easy to be short-sighted, to focus on your suffering, to focus on this. But just remember, you're not a victim, you're a victor. There's a crown. That is coming. Lastly, fourth thing. I can count it all joy when I know that God is for me, not against me. I, I noticed uh, that he, um, he doesn't say, blessed is the one who isn't tempted. Blessed is the one who doesn't have to go through trials. He says, blessed is the one who remains under, in the midst of trial. And he talks about the temptation to sin. I don't have time to dive into this because it's, it's actually, I think it's, it's a really important concept to understand how sin works in us. But what he wants us to know is that God never, ever, 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 ever is leading you into sin, ever. It's not in his nature. He would never do that. No, nor does he tempt us into sin. He doesn't want these people to think that the evil that they're feeling is from God. But rather, he says this, I want you to know that every good and perfect gift comes from the Father of heavenly lights, who does not sh- change or shift like a shadow, right? He, he wants them to know that God is good, that he's good. And he's never gonna lead you into evil, but he's always gonna lead you into what is good and what is right. My uh, sons, I've, I've had a couple sons that have gone through soccer. I, do we have any soccer parents in the room? This is not gonna work very well then. <laughs> like no hands went up. So soccer is, you know, I'm an American I don't know anything about soccer, okay. I'm learning. This sport is actually super cool now that I'm learning about it. But I, I didn't know there were positions or anything like that. I just thought that you just kick it in the goal, right? But there's way more to it than that. But you know, I've I've just loved watching my sons as they play. And I, you know, we're sitting there with other parents and we're just so into it, right? I, I used to pace the, the side of the field, like I was that dad, you know. But now I'm I actually sit in the stands now, and I'm getting much better. Uh, but we're just we're just yelling for our kids. And it's like, we just want them to, to, to win, right? We, we're for them. We're, we're in their corner. Like when they have the ball and someone's coming behind them, we're like, man on, man on, right? Because we, we want them to know, like, hey, someone's coming after you. And we're so for them. And I was thinking about this picture of God and his goodness. It's like when you're in the middle of the trial, I just want you to think of God as He's like the one who's there, he's pacing the side of the field with you, and He's like, man on, it's coming after you. Temptation's right behind you. Right? He's for you, cheering you on. And He wants you, He wants you to follow Him, to obey, to, to see your faith just. Build, as you remain under trial to develop endurance. And so I just want you to know, in the moments where you feel the, the trial, the suffering, the adversity, the, the temptations that we all face, that there's joy in enduring. There's joy knowing your Father loves you. He's with you. He's cheering you on. He's for you. He's not against you. Joy is vital. We're joy people. We absolutely need it. And we can count it all joy when we're clear about what God is building, when we trust that God is providing, when we see the crown that is coming, and when we know that God is for us, not against us. I want to close with this story. Um, There's a guy by the name of Thomas Carlyle, who lived uh, way before computers and typewriters, and he was a writer, he was an author. He wrote um, a history of the French Revolution that took him three years of research and writing. He writes it all by hand in a manuscript, and he gives that manuscript to a friend of his named John Stuart Mills to edit and proofread. Now, uh, Mr. Mills, he uh, put it in a basket beside his fireplace because at night he wanted to work on it and he could see by the firelight. So he had this basket of papers by the fireplace and, you know, he would work on it at night. Well, Mills goes out of town and his maid is there at his house and sees a basket full of papers by the fireplace and assumes, like, these are fire starters, And by the time that he returns from being out of town, every page has been burned. Thomas Carlyle, who didn't have it saved on a hard drive somewhere. This is the copy of his manuscript that took three years to write, it's gone. He goes into a deep depression. He goes home. He shuts all the blinds in his house, and he sits there for weeks, and he refuses food. He's just so depressed. Finally, one day, he opens one blind in his house. And through that window, he could see across the street, there was a church, and there was a brick wall that had fallen down. And he watched this man rebuild the wall brick by brick. It took him three weeks, eight hours a day. And so in his depression, he literally sat there before Netflix, right? And he watches for three weeks, eight hours a day, a man rebuild a wall brick by brick. And he said to himself, if he can rebuild a wall brick by brick, then I can rewrite this book page by page. He finished the book, took him two years, and became a literary classic. Here's my point. When we talk about um, the columns of our life and being able to write joy over all of it, that may be really hard for you. In fact, you may feel like I've completely failed at that. If I'm honest, I've been more bitter, I've been complaining, I've really kinda wanted to wash my hands of Jesus because I'm so disappointed in my life. And here's what I wanna say, is that you can begin today counting it all joy. Every little piece of your life, Whatever it has been, whatever the struggle has been, whatever the, 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 the sorrow, whatever the hardship, whatever the thing that you've caused other people to struggle with because of your hardship, however you've seen that play out, I just want you to, to, this morning, say, look, Lord, I'm just gonna begin to count it all joy, just every single part. And I want us to look at Jesus, Hebrews 12, 1 and 2. Therefore, since we also have such a large cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us lay aside every hindrance and the sin that so easily ensnares us. Let us run with endurance the race that lies before us, keeping our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that lay before him endured the cross despising the shame, and sat down at the right hand, the throne of God. Jesus endured perfectly. He counted it all joy. You and I, we falter, we fail, and we need the perfect endurance of Jesus through the cross, through the resurrection, to be ours. And this is what Jesus offers you through faith. If you will look to him, you can count it all joy. Just as Carlyle looks out of his window, three weeks, eight hours a day, the Bible calls us to fix our eyes on Jesus. So friends, may we repent of our immaturity. May we endure, remain under, counting it joy. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Renaissance Church Sermon Podcast. To support our work, you can like, share, subscribe, or you can donate at rin-church.org.